Welcome to Podcast, recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. So we are talking about happiness today, and what a what a reminder that happiness is that that gentle feeling that comes from within, right? We're using this book of Mercy Shimoff's, uh, a bestseller called Happiness for No Reason, and she has an interesting thesis statement that I want to share with you. Her idea is, well, yes, we can base our happiness or our unhappiness on events, on situations, on how smart we are, how rich we are, on flows of money or special vacations. We can base our happiness on the outside But how much more powerful would it be if we can call it forth in our own heart and in our own mind? And today I want to talk a little bit about the even the scientific basis for understanding that happiness can and is equally an inside job as it is based on outer circumstances. And I want to start with uh, something interesting. Let's just show a hands. How many people here have known someone who is very rich, or, or at least very fortunate, and yet wasn't particularly happy in their lives? Okay. And then so let me go on the other side, though. How many people have we known that really have been in dire circumstances and were likewise a, a victim of their circumstances and very unhappy about it? Exactly. It, it doesn't really have to do with money so often. We, we think that money may be the answer. We may think that being on the more fortunate side of things, whether we believe in fortune or whether we believe that we make our own place in the world, often we tie our happiness to the outside, whether it's uh, good fortune or poor fortune. We actually have the option of changing how we react to it. And the thesis of this book, I think Marcy Shimoff is perfectly accurate in saying that it's not what the external circumstances are, it's how we react to them. And so really we have two ways of looking at this. First of all, no matter what's going on on the outside, we can choose to react to it in a positive way. And second of all, what if we don't even need to rely on external circumstances for our level of happiness? These are the two questions I hope to at least partially answer today, and we'll see how I do. Uh, But I think I want to start out with a joke, if you don't mind. So a couple were out shopping downtown. The streets were packed, and the wife walked out of one store and into another, and she was surprised to discover that her husband was nowhere to be seen. Did he take the car? How would they find each other? She was frustrated. She got out her phone, called him. Where are you? What's happened? She asked. In a quiet voice, he explained. Do you remember that jewelry store we went into about five years ago, honey? It's that jeweler on the corner that has windows on both streets. You remember. It was that time that you fell in love with a diamond bracelet. It was the one that we really couldn't afford at the time. The baby had just been born, and we were so poor that day. Well, the wife chokes up a bit. She's honestly surprised that her husband could even remember that day. 
touched that he's found his way back there. Yes, she says, why, I do remember that day. I remember the bracelet. I can still picture the jewelry store in my mind, just like it was yesterday. Well, said her husband happily, I'm in the coffee shop right next door. (laughs) And so what makes us happy, right? For some people, it might be a day out shopping. For another person, it might be sitting quietly in a coffee shop. What makes us happy? I want to share an experience that I had a few years ago. Um, Before I I met Daniel, my partner in life, sometimes my partner in crime, I was out in the dating world, and and I would like to share a a date with you that I went on to. Gosh, it's got to be like maybe 15 years ago now. A perfectly nice gentleman. We we had met uh, online, one of those uh, things where you're hoping to find a friend, and if it develops into more than that, you, you feel lucky. And we went out to a restaurant restaurant as a first sort of date. And uh, gosh, it was a it, it was a summer, not unlike our summer, where there's a little rain, a little sun. It happened to be a sunny day. We were sitting outside in a cafe. And really, to my way of thinking, it was sort of the perfect date in a way. Lovely weather. The waiter was uh, friendly. Uh, you know, it gave us good advice on what to eat and order. Although I'm not a fussy eater, I'm a vegetarian. And the waiter was super helpful at, at guiding me onto what I would probably like on the menu. Uh, which isn't always easy for a vegetarian. It was fun. We were outside. There were people walking by. Food was good. Just one of those lovely evenings. And and I thought we were having, well, you can see where the story is going. I thought we were having a a pleasant interchange, enjoying ourselves. And and it was a pleasant evening. And a few days later, I I happened to call him, just check in. You know, would you like to go out and do something? I'm pretty sure I said this, this exact way. I said, it was a lovely evening we had, we ought to go back to that restaurant again sometime. And he said, that place? Oh my God, can you imagine they stuck us outside in the blazing sun? And that waiter, have you ever met someone more officious and solicitous? It's like he might as well have sat down at the table and been with us. And, uh, and I don't know about you, but that food was simply mediocre. And I'm like stunned on the other. It's like, who was this man? Did he go to the same place? Was there a a doppelganger involved? Right? Well, what's interesting, I think, was we did have a few more dates before I realized this wasn't the fellow that I would want to spend that much time with. And every single time we would go out together, he was not enjoying himself. And for a little while, I took it personally. For a little while, I was thinking, well, (laughs) like, what in me is, you know, am I that unpleasant to be around? But what I noticed was, I'm pretty much always a happy guy, and he's pretty much always an unhappy guy. And you know what? I discovered in this book that we're using this month that there's actually science behind that. Did you know that we have a set point for happiness? Does everybody know how a thermostat works? Probably, right? You set a thermostat. If it gets a, a colder than that, the furnace will come on, the heat pump will turn on, and, and the temperature will go up. And if it gets too high, then the air conditioning will cut in or the fan will turn on or whatever and cool that you down a little bit. Apparently, 
For most of us, happiness works the same way. If too many things happen that would cause us to be happier than usual, we will find a way to put the kibosh on it. We will find a way to bring down our happiness. We will actually seek out in our environment things that will bring us down. And likewise, if enough negativity happens, we will seek out and reinforce ourselves with the idea of gratitude for what is and the things that are working well in our lives. And roughly, roughly, we will end up in the same place. Now, some of you out there are going, well, great, Larry, that's nice to know. So there's nothing I could do about this. Why are we even talking about happiness today? I'm doomed or, or, or I'm blessed, I guess, depending on whether your set point is lower than you like. But I do have good news. The scientists have also delved into this a little further. And in several studies, they have determined the components of this thermostat that we have in our heart. Now, about half of it is hardwired in. About half of it, we don't really have too much control over. And they even did some studies. Have you heard of the identical twins separated at birth studies, right? It's like, how many twins could there be on the planet? I don't know. But apparently they sign them all up for these studies. And what they discovered is happiness, that set point, about half of it tends to be the way we're born. Tends to be. But the other half of it, we're in a lot of control over. About 10% of what is left is based on our circumstances. So about 10% of our happiness is actually based on things that you can go out and do, right? Uh, if you like going to movies, go to a movie and you'll be happy in general. If you like to read mystery stories, you know, make sure you have a good stack of them. Let's, let's promote some happiness. But that's only about 10%. Guess what the other 40% is based on? It is how we mentally view and process our life. 40% of that set point, the ability to raise our happiness level, 40% of it is based on how we feel about ourselves, how we feel about the world, how we think the world works totally within our control. So really half of it is within our control. We have the ability more often than not to raise that set point and keep it up. And so this month for the next uh, four Sundays, I'm going to be giving you tips and techniques for raising that set point. I would like to throw out a guarantee. In fact, I think I will. And, and you can take me up on it. If by the end of this month, you're not happier I want you to be in my face a little bit. Okay? No, no, honestly. Because I think if we pay attention to some of these ideas, we will make some movement in at least that 40% of ourselves, and we will begin to notice that set point moving up a little bit. It may not be dramatic at first. In fact, in the book, she cautions us. She, she says, don't just read the book in a weekend and expect on Monday morning you're, a, you know, you're in bliss, right? Because a lot of our thinking is based on habits. Doesn't that make sense? The way we react to the world, we didn't just dream it up yesterday. Through the course of our lives, we have trained ourselves habitually to respond to things in a certain way, to believe certain things to be true. And in order to change our thinking, of course, we're going to have to interrupt some of those mental habits. It doesn't happen overnight, but I do think that in the course of a month, 
If we follow some of the homework that I'm going to be giving you, uh uh-oh, I just let that out of the bag. Uh, But if you're willing to do a little work on yourself, I can almost guarantee that you'll be happier at the end of the month, and you'll know how to keep it up. You will know the techniques and the rules by why uh, you are happy and how you can have an effect there. Well, the first thing I need to do here, the first place to start is we have to undo a few old habits, a few old ways of habitual thinking. And so I want to expose the first myth of what is happiness. Many people think that happiness is dependent on their financial stability. That is the first myth that I want to expose. And I wrote down some of the statistics from the, from the book here. America's personal income has increased more than two and a half times in the last 50 years. And that's even adjusted for inflation. So in the last 50 years, the average buying power of an American has more than doubled. Our happiness quotient has slightly decreased during the same period. And in fact, in coming weeks, I'm going to go over the World Happiness Report. You'll discover that even though America is one of the most affluent nations in the world, we're not in the top ten of, of happy nations. And we'll, we'll cover that in a couple weeks. But certainly money does not necessarily ensure happiness. Nearly 40% of the people on the Forbes list of wealthiest Americans are less happy than the average American. And finally... And this one, uh, I expect some pushback on, but there have actually been studies done that prove this. Once the personal wealth exceeds $15,000 per year, more money produces virtually no increase in happiness. Now, this one's interesting, and I think we ought to pay attention to this. So it isn't to say that if you're impoverished, if you are below the poverty line and are struggling to have enough food and, a, and shelter and a place to say, absolutely, that does have a very definite limit on your ability to be happy. If you're struggling to find uh, what you need to live and exist and, and stay dry and have clean clothes and so on, you will not be as happy in general as people who make more money. But once the basic needs are met, once we reach that, well, in the book they say twelve to $15,000 a year, once you have reached that level, happiness is not projected to increase based on more money or more comfort. So think about this for a minute, and here's the source, in fact, of your homework for this week. How much of your time and your effort do you spend in trying to acquire things or to become more financially secure when that time could be spent on perhaps things that do bring true happiness. So I'd like you to do just a little bit of scan of how you spend your time, how you work out your activities, how much of that is based on acquiring things or improving your financial situation. And I'd like you just this week just to examine that. There's nothing wrong with it. I'm not suggesting that we, you know, leave our Wall Street jobs or, you know, anything like that. Don't don't make any life changes here. I just want you to examine if that fallacy 
of money and happiness is it alive in you? And to what degree it is? I think as Americans, it's alive in most of us to some degree. Weren't we taught as young children to get ahead, to be successful, to be happy? I have to work hard. I have to do my part. I have to achieve something. I have to reach a certain level of success. And then I will be happy. Right? In fact, if you look at the actual founding documents of the United States, right? It's not happiness that we're guaranteed. It's the pursuit of happiness. Do you see how that sets us up for the quest? Never actually finding it, right? But the quest for happiness? It's always out there somewhere rather than that idea of happiness is right where I am as long as I have my heart open to receive it, as long as my mind is open to the possibilities, as long as I can begin seeing the, the joy that is right here. It's one of the reasons I so love the song today, right? This wasn't about so, a song about some great achievement. It was the beautiful and quiet happiness that, that happens on a day-to-day -day basis as we form relationships and notice the world around us. This, this is the source of true happiness happiness. We don't need to go on a quest for it. It resides in us. So the antidote for the myth of more, I call it the myth of more. You know, if I, if, if I have more money, if I have more stuff, if I have more time, if, if I have more friends, then I'll, you know, if only I break that 10,000 Facebook friend limit, then, then I'll be happy, right? <laughs> the myth of more needs to be replaced by the reality of sufficiency and gratitude. In any given moment, your life is sufficient. If you think about it right now, is there anything you need right in this moment to be happy? See, I don't think so. I, I mean, I know that set point might be at work for some of us. Some of us might not be feeling happy right in this moment. But you're, in your heart, you know that, that nothing could be added to it in this moment that would improve it either. This month, we're going to be working partially on this idea of sufficiency. What do I really need? And beyond that, it's all gravy. Beyond that, it is simply the blessings of spirit. We don't need a million dollars in the bank to feel good about ourselves. We don't need to have a certain kind of car to, to feel like we're well set up. We don't need to have a certain number of friends or, or whatever it might be. In each moment, we can look around us and see delight, see happiness. So I've been working actually with this book for a couple years. There are some exercises that we'll be practicing later in, in the month, but I want to give you one of them as a, uh, it's not part of your homework, but you might want to try it anyway. So who here tends to get frustrated when they're in some kind of a queue, whether it's you're waiting for your turn to come up to the desk at the, I don't know, at the pharmacy, or maybe it's a long line at Winco or whatever it is. I, I, oh, traffic. There's a, oh my gosh, yes, traffic. How many people here have those kinds of frustrations? So the suggestion in the book, and I think it's a lovely one, is simply notice five things around you that are delightful. 
So I did this the other night. I was, in fact, it was funny. My timing at Winco wasn't the best, right? I'm there just as some of the checkers went on their break. And it was five o'clock and a lot of people were coming into the store. So as I get my cart up there, there's only like three lanes open out of the eight that sometimes are open and it's long lines. And so I thought, okay, Larry, you're going to be asking other people to do this. Let's see how it goes. And so I'm in the line and I'm going, okay, so what's delightful around here? And I had to notice I laughed at all of the funny magazines in the checkout stand. Have you ever done that? Everything thing from, you know, lose 35 pounds in seven minutes to, uh, uh, to what the Queen of England is wearing to some do that she's doing. And it just made me laugh. It was delightful in a way, sort of the absurdity of the magazines at the checkout stand. So that was number one. Number two, I haven't noticed in a long time, but they had my favorite candy there. So we just grabbed a, a one of those, and, and I had never noticed. It was right there in the checkout lane. You know, how lovely to have a butter finger in my basket. It made me smile. <laughs> it just totally made me smile. The third thing I noticed was the checker. She had, they had to have been handmade. She had the most amazing earrings that I have ever seen in my life. For one thing, they hung down almost to her shoulders, and they looked kind of like chandeliers. I mean, I, you know, a lot of people would say they were gaudy, and, and they'd be right. But the thought that she had made her own earrings and was showing them off at Winco, there was something about it that just tickled me. It made me smile. And in fact, when I got up to her, I complimented her on them, and you should have seen her face light up. It was as though, you know, the sun parted the clouds suddenly, and she was like herself. And she said, yes, I did make them. <laughs> she was very proud of herself. Number four, I just noticed how clean the floor was. I don't, they must mop that well, and, may, and maybe they're supposed to, I don't know. But in my Winco on that day, I was delighted to notice you could probably have eaten off that floor. I mean, it was shine. Well, okay, fair enough. Fair enough, Brad. <laughs> it's true. People are walking on it. But I mean, it was shiny. How hard is it to get a cement floor to shine like that? I don't know how they did it, but what a delightful thing. And then number five, as I was getting down on my list, number five was simply noticing the plenty around me. Have you ever really thought there are places in the world where you go to a supermarket and there's only like 14 choices, not 800,000 choices, right? I remember on some vacations in a, a small town in Mexico that we used to go to, there was like one brand of cereal and there was one kind of milk, right? Not, not 1%, 2%, full strength, almond milk, goat milk. I mean, have you noticed today the dairy section? It's like, wow, <laughs> right? And non-dairy, yes. And so, oh my gosh, the choices. So that was my list of five things. And I got to tell you, I was happy. I was happy to be waiting in that line. So give it a try. It's one of the tips from the book. Give it a try. It can take a frustrating moment and actually bring some delight into your life. Now, this is one of the ways, this is one of the things that we can do to begin changing us on the inside 
to change that set point. And I have to tell you that that feeling of all is right in the world, that feeling of sufficiency, it lingered with me too. After the supermarket, I had to drive home. I was doing laundry, doing a variety of other things. And it was with a lighter step. It was with a sense of this is good. Things are going well right? And nothing special was happening. I didn't just get awarded the Nobel Prize or anything interesting, anything worth reporting, right? But how nice to be happy as I do the laundry. How sweet it was to be making dinner that night with with kind of a song in my heart. So this month, let me uh, review here. Happiness is an inside job. No matter how you look at it, happiness can be something that you take charge of. And in fact, we're going to be talking about that next week. We are responsible for our own happiness. If we want to follow this lead, if we want to begin adjusting that 40% of happiness that's completely under our control, and even work on that 10% that is somewhat under our control, we have to realize we're the ones that are going to do it. It's not sitting around and waiting for the bluebird of happiness to, to nest in our hair. We're actually going to have to do some things. We're going to have to change a little bit about how we think about things. But what a delight in knowing we have that power. The second thing we talked about is that idea of the set point function. 50% may be controlled, may be controlled from birth, but the other 50% completely within our power to make adjustments. We can move that thermostat up if we want to. And then the last thing we talked about today, and we'll continue talking about a little bit more next week, are the idea of the myths of happiness. And we focused in on the myth of more, the myth that having more stuff or more friends or more cars or a better job or, or things will be better when I'll be happy when the kids are finally out of the house, you know, whatever that more time to myself, whatever the more is, please know it is not apt to make you happy in the long run. Might give you a boost. Remember the last time you bought something expensive that was brand new, whether it was, you know, a new refrigerator or whether it was a new car, something that, you know, would be considered a major purchase. And remember how happy it made you feel for a week, right? For the first week, you parked that car way out in the parking lot where nobody could nick it, right? (laughs) Right? And then somewhere along the way, whether it was a week later or a month later, suddenly it's like, well, it's just my car. So we're going to learn to bring that happiness from in here. We're going to learn that happiness resides here, it resides here, and we're for it. So I'm going to close today with a, a lovely quote from this book and a prayer. Remember, what's the homework? The homework is to check out the myth of more to see if it's working in your life. How much time and attention are you spending on obtaining, on on trying to think of your future based on getting more? So let me uh, do a delightful quote. Again, the book is Happy uh, for No Reason. And she says, Building happiness starts with an important first step. You lay the foundation by taking ownership of your happiness. That means first believing that you can be happy and then being aware of the habits that are standing in your way. And finally, and gently and persistently, 
shifting to new habits of thinking, feeling, and acting that will serve you better. The good news is, no matter where you start, when you're positive and take total responsibility for experiencing happiness, you yourself will be in the driver's seat. Then you can take quantum leaps in raising your happiness set point. So let us pray. There is one love, one life, one joy. And what I know about this one thing, whether you call it spirit or God, whether you see it as your higher wisdom self or the divine feminine, I know that this joy, this happiness, this love, this life, it starts within each one of us, spirit present within always. And although from time to time we might be tugged at, we might be pulled by the world out there, I know that its effects are temporary. And whether it's happiness or unhappiness, the world comes and goes and you remain calm and beautiful and in charge in your own lives. You have the power, each one of us has the power to bring about a greater degree of happiness in our own lives through our thinking, through our heart, through our actions, through our deeds. We are in charge of our happiness. And I know through the, the teachings of this lovely book, I know through the, the spiritual traditions that tell us it is done unto us as we believe, I know that happiness is ours to have, to experience, and to share. And I give great thanks for this. I give such thanks for Spirit showing up every day in the lives of the people around me. I give great thanks in looking out in this congregation and seeing God in action. And so for the, the beauty of this truth, I let it be, and together we say, and so it is. Thank you so much for being here today. So glad you were here. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. every Sunday. We also have many programs, classes, and workshops developed just for our online audience. To find out more, go to our website at cslportland.org and look under the Online tab. We have a variety of content dedicated specifically for our podcast listeners. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at cslportland.org donate. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended spiritual community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.